But good morning, and thank you for tuning in to RTHK. This is China Takes Over the World, a program that explores the rise of China's economic, political, and military power. I am Ying Ma. Regional tensions in Asia have been high since China established a new air defense identification zone in the East China Sea last November. The zone overlaps with the existing air defense zones of Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan, and includes small islands whose sovereignty is disputed by these parties. With us to sort through the heated rhetoric and the maritime disputes is Professor Yotoshi Yoshihara, who is the John A. Van Buren Chair of Asia Pacific Studies at the U.S. Naval War College. Later in the program, we will speak with Professor Shishin of Cornell University regarding how nationalism and identity in East Asia exacerbate security conflicts and regional tensions. But first, we welcome Professor Yoshihara. Toshi, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, Professor, Washington and Tokyo have both condemned Beijing's establishment of its air defense zone, which covers the Daoyu Senkaku Islands that are hotly dispute, disputed between China and Japan. And the U.S. and Japan both say that J- Beijing is trying to unilaterally change the status quo in the East China Sea. But China says that it was actually Japan that stole the islands from China in the first place back in the late 19th century. And when Japan nationalized three out of the five disputed islands in 2012, Japan was actually the country that was trying to alter the regional status quo. So, Professor, do you think China is right that this is all Japan's fault? Well, I think the the dispute over the Senkaku's Daoyu Islands uh, obviously is very, very complicated. Um, but I think it's important to talk a little bit about the air defense identification zone and talk a little bit about what it does and what it doesn't do. Uh, you know, there are really only two kinds of airspace in uh, international law, and that's uh, national airspace and international airspace. And uh, when you're in international airspace, uh, that means that all aircraft uh, have the freedom to enjoy um, um, uh, the freedom to fly through really any sort of international airspace, and that the air defense and the the air defense identification zone is really primarily designed to re- regulate uh, the safe entry uh, and exit of aircraft from international airspace into national airspace. Uh, and so I think it ultimately really depends on how China hopes to enforce the ADIZ. Will it seek to overreach beyond what is permitted in international law in terms of what you can do in international airspace? Um, as um, uh, as concerns your question about the competing narratives, um, I think ultimately the question is, why here, why now? Why take up such a provocative action on the part of the Chinese uh, that essentially seeks to, as the Japanese and the United States have claimed, to uh, seek to change the status quo? Uh, this isn't really the best time to do so, given the tensions that are running very high in, in the region. Uh, and so it seems to me that uh, China should have refrained from doing something like this to sort of further uh, provoke and further deepen the tensions and crisis in the region. Do you have any theories on why here, why now? Well, you know, I think, you know, part of it is the sense that uh, China feels that its time has come and that it can begin to put pressure on many of its neighbors through these acts. Now, clearly, declaring a zone doesn't change the reality, as I said, about the international nature of the airspace over which the zone covers. Um, but I think what the Chinese have cleverly done is to do a couple things. First of all, I think it's designed to split the U.S.-Japan alliance. Because what you saw was a sort of a small fallout between Japan and the United States over whether they should acknowledge the, uh, 
the zone. The United States, for example, said that uh, their national airlines should be encouraged to submit flight plans to Chinese aviation authorities, whereas Japan uh, decided not to do so. And so I think China is trying to show some daylight between Japan and the United States, and any difference that emerges from the alliance is considered a win for China. So Washington has repeatedly said that it doesn't take a side in territorial disputes between China and Japan over the Senkaku Daoyu Islands. And as you mentioned earlier, there has been a bit of there has been a bit of difference between Washington's response and Japan's response. But soon after the establishment of China's air defense zone, U.S. Secretary of Defense Chuck Hagel reaffirmed that America's security commitments to Japan. Applies to the Senkaku Islands. Um, so, from the Chinese point of view, how is that not taking a side? Well, I think the United States is trying to strike a very delicate balancing act. Um, on the one hand, it does need to uh, show uh, support and commitment to one of its uh, very important treaty allies in the region. Uh, and after all, it was the United States that essentially handed over administrative control over the Senkakus uh, to uh, Japan uh, in terms of transfer of administrative control. Um, on the other hand, I think the United States is concerned that if it outrightly takes a position over the Senkakus, that there's fear that that would essentially allow Japan to push the envelope, potentially writing Japan a blank check. Uh, and so it is this delicate balancing act that great powers always have to strike, which is uh, not to um, get um, entangled in regional disputes that does not directly involve itself, um, but also not to give the impression that the United States is engaging in some sort of an abandonment of a very important local ally. And so I think that's that's where the United States finds itself, and it's maneuvering very, very carefully not to go too far in one direction or the other. Well, let's talk about um, South Korea for a minute. Uh, it has also objected to China's new air defense zone because the zone covers the Liodo Suyan rock that's contested by Seoul and Beijing. Now, while Beijing and Seoul both have had contentious, re- contentious relations with Tokyo in recent years, China and South Korea have actually been getting along relatively well. Uh, but now China's new air defense zone has resulted in objections not just from Japan, but also from South Korea. Do you, do you think that Beijing has unnecessarily provoked Seoul with its actions? And, and why do you think it didn't just leave its island dispute with South Korea out of the new air defense zone to avoid irritating the a country with which Beijing actually has warming ties? Well, I think what's interesting is that China has been engaged in, in a series of activities along its entire periphery that has uh, led to essentially uh, counterbalancing behavior um, on the part uh, of, of its neighbors. So it, it hasn't not only antagonized Japan, uh, South Korea, Taiwan, the Philippines, Vietnam, and even last April, uh, India. Um, you know, this is just a series of activities that the Chinese have been involved in. Now, I think in the specific case of South Korea, it is important to note that South Korea um, occupying the southern tip of the uh, of the Korean Peninsula is located very, very geostrategically. It straddles essentially somewhere between the Sea of Japan and the Yellow Sea. Uh, and that body of water, the Yellow Sea in particular, is a imp- very important thoroughfare for Chinese ships and Chinese aircraft. And so I think the Chinese adopted a much more strategic view, saying that, look, this body of water needs to be encompassed to give Chinese military and, and um, um, civilian ships and aircraft the freedom to maneuver in that space. 
We're speaking with Professor Toshi Yoshihara of the U.S. Naval War College. Professor, uh, let's shift over to the South China Sea for a minute. As you mentioned earlier, China has plenty of territorial disputes there, and in some ways, we can't even really talk about the East China Sea disputes without also talking about the South China Sea. And there's a perception. That Beijing is just a total bully in the South China Sea because it claims virtually all of it. Where countries like Malaysia, Brunei, and the Philippines and Vietnam have been, they they all have competing claims. And and in January, China even enacted regulations that require non-Chinese fishing vessels to first obtain permission from Beijing before operating in the South China Sea. So, do you think that the perceptions of China's neighbors in Japan and their reactions to China are very Much affected by, by the perceptions and reactions from um, by、uh, from neighbors in Southeast Asia as well. Well, you know, I think it's important to note that、uh, China is driv- really driven by multiple uh, motivations uh, in the way that it is seeking、uh, claims、um, over the South China Sea.、Um, it claims, obviously, the 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 islands themselves inside of the South China Sea, particularly the Spratly Islands. But it also claims the energy resources, the fishing rights in the waters around the islands, and then it has an even more expansive claim, the so-called Nine Dash Line, as you mentioned, that essentially covers almost the entire part of the South China Sea, and part Part of the motivation there is, of course, China is dependent on seaborne commerce for its economic well-being, and it believes that it needs to be able to have an independent capacity to protect shipping that is the lifeblood of its economic growth. And so, for all of these reasons, China feels it is fully justified in taking up these actions, asserting greater and greater administrative control. And I would say that the The much weaker Southeast Asian countries compared to Japan are, in fact, pushing back in their own way, whether to align themselves closer with the United States、uh, or, as in the case of the Philippines, taking China to international court. And so, I think we are going to see these types of pushback against China as it continues to push along all fronts along its entire periphery. Well, some of these countries are also drawing closer to Japan as well. They're not just drawing closer to the U.S. and China can't possibly be happy about that.、Um, do, do you think that China's aggressive and provocative actions are actually backfiring for their interests?、Um, I would say so.、Um, I think what we are seeing are a couple of trends that were in some ways、uh, unthinkable even just a few years ago.、Uh, the first thing, of course,、uh, is that.、Um, We are now seeing overtures by the smaller states to the United States that we hadn't seen in in years, and as you mentioned correctly, they are also aligning more closely with other regional partners, in particular Japan. So Japan is forging closer ties with Vietnam. Japan is forging closer ties with the Philippines, offering to sell the Philippines patrol boats.、Uh, Japan is also forging closer ties with India, and so we are actually. And, and if a, I may point out, also Cambodia, which has been. A beneficiary of Chinese largesse for a long, long time. That's right, and so what we're seeing are a, a, a series of regional alignments, regional players forming and forging relationships amongst themselves to counterbalance China. And I think the other player to mention is Myanmar. You know, Myanmar used to be seen as a client state of. Of China, but it is showing a much more independent streak by opening itself up and、uh, making overtures to the United States. So I think we are seeing all kinds of movements among the smaller players, and I would I would like to emphasize that we shouldn't、um, underestimate the capacity of these uh, smaller uh, powers to maneuver in ways to their advantage. Well, we have about thirty seconds left.、Uh, what do you think the United States should do? 
to prevent miscalculation and armed conflict over territorial disputes in the region? Are there things that it's not doing and should do? Are there things that it should do better? I think certainly the most important thing is that the United States needs to maintain its forward presence to ensure that it's able to deter aggression and adventurism. It needs to have the capacity, the naval capacity, the forward presence to make that point clear. At the same time, I think the United States should keep a door open for giant for China to participate in multilateral naval exercises to show China uh, what's the really the, the the proper path for great powers working together uh, at sea and ultimately to work closely with its friends and allies in the region uh, to continue to give them the capacity to resist on their own, but also to uh, forge these coalitions to maintain good order at sea. We have been speaking with Toshi Yoshihara of the U.S. Naval War College. Professor, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. This is China Takes Over the World on RTHK, and I am Ying Ma. Next up, a conversation with Professor Xu Xin of Cornell University about nationalism in East Asia and its implications for regional security. Welcome back to China Takes Over the World on RTHK. We are pleased to have with us Professor Xu Xin, Associate Director of the China and Asia Pacific Studies Program at Cornell University in the U.S. Professor Xu, welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, great to have you with us.、Uh, you're currently working on a book manuscript entitled "The Power of Identity: China and East Asian Security Politics in the Post-Cold War Era." This is quite relevant for us because we're talking about regional tensions in East Asia today, and after all, many of the maritime disputes and security conflicts in East Asia are wrapped up in nationalism, identity, and unresolved historical grievances. So let's start with the Daoyuks and Kaku Islands, which are claimed by both China and Japan. Do you think that China would get so worked up about these islands if it did not still harbor deep resentment toward Japan due to the latter's wartime aggression? The Daoyuks and Kaku dispute,、uh, as we all know, is now a new issue.、Uh, it has been there in the、uh, bilateral relations for a long, long time.、Um, In, in the past, particularly、uh, due to the Deng Xiaoping's initiative, there was some kind of mutual understanding, if not consensus in any formal way, that the two sides, China and Japan, should,、uh, you know, put aside the dispute. Instead,、uh, two countries should focus on their common interests in economic development. And, and maintaining the stability and peace in, in the region,、um, but that was the past.、Uh, but in, in recent years, and then the particularly uh, uh, you know uh, caused by the, the change in both countries and the so-called rise of the, the nationalism、uh, in China and, and to some extent also in Japan.、Uh, I mean, 
made the issue more difficult to manage uh, by both governments. Well, but the uh, Japanese, here, I, excuse me for interrupting, but the Japanese side also says that China didn't used to get so worked up about the issue when it didn't think that there was a vast reserve of oil and gas underneath the islands. Well, I I know that that is the argument uh, often made by the, the Japanese uh, officials or Japanese uh, side, um, but I, I don't buy that. Well, we don't deny there's uh, the, that part of the story. I mean, the, the natural resources is part of this uh, dispute. Uh, uh, but I think the main cause of this dispute is really the the combination of historical uh, legacy and the, you know, the territory uh, issue here. Um, and, and so y- given that China established an air defense zone in the East China Sea last November, y- you don't think that that would have happened had, um, had the two countries not been driven by nationalism? Um, I, I'm not sure. I think the... the uh, Air defense identification zone uh, is the quite, it's, it's common practice uh, for many countries, and Japan has its own ADIZ uh, for a long time. I mean, it, it established the uh, Japanese uh, ADIZ uh, as early as in 1969, right, and uh, which covered the the area. Uh, and two, I mean, uh, uh, in 19, in, in 2010, Japan even expanded this, uh, uh, defense zone, air defense identification zone. So, uh, in, in a way, so the, the fact that China decided to establish its own ADIZ, uh, is not a problem in itself. Um, I think there's this backdrop against which, uh, the, the tensions over the Yusenkaku Islands uh, have been uh, intensified. That's definitely one of the factors. But there's also the broader uh, context in which China began to become more, uh, if you will, I mean, assertive in, uh, uh, you know, the the is in maintaining its its uh, territory claims to the uh, Islands and some other. Islands in disputes in the region in South China Sea, in particular. Oh, and what what context are are you referring to? Are you referring to just the general uh, increase in Chinese military power and increase in Chinese nationalism, um, a a growing confidence in how China can assert its power in the world? What what specific context do you think has driven uh, these more aggressive Chinese actions in? territorial disputes? Um, well, we can take a longer uh, time uh, frame or, or uh, the short time uh, perspective. And here, the, the China, so-called the rise of China, is a long process, right? Uh, at least, you know, since the since the, the Deng's reform, China has been on the path to modernization and to so-called the uh, pursuing the China dream, as President Xi Jinping uh, called it. Um, but in a short time period, uh, I think particularly since the uh, perhaps the Beijing Olympic, the 2008, 
uh, it seems China has become increasingly assertive, in uh, particularly in, in maritime uh, Asia, and and when it comes to the the problem with uh, you know the the territorial disputes in South China Sea and East China Sea. But I won't say it's only because of the rights of China. Uh, when it comes to the Diaoyu Senkaku issue, as I mentioned earlier, uh, because the, the, the previous kind of uh, uh, mutual understanding uh, about putting aside this issue for the future generation to handle has been, uh, you know, had had been broken by uh, the efforts or, or the measures taken by Japanese government. That is the nationalization of three of the islands uh, of this island group. Right, right, uh, and, that and that happened. Put China on the on the on the place uh, in the position to do something uh, to to take some countermeasures. We are currently speaking with Professor Xu Xin of Cornell University. Now, Professor Xu, China certainly has asserted that, but but according to the Japanese side, they only nationalized some of those islands as you know as a preventive measure to try to actually calm tensions down. But but. Maybe we should talk a bit about nationalism in Japan as well. So, uh, so for instance, Japanese textbooks gloss over the atrocities committed in China in World War II, as well as the use of South Korean women as sex slaves in World War II. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe recently even visited the shrine where various Japanese war criminals from World War II were buried. Um, and, and this all sort of is within the context of, of China's anger toward Japan, uh, including on the Senkaku Daoyu Island issue. So why do you think it has been so difficult for Japan to take full responsibility for its actions in World War II? Well, that's a good question. I guess that's also the question uh, many people are wondering. And and for scholars in the in the area of international relations, they have been constantly discussing about this. Um, I think you know the the Japanese. Uh, you know, I have many Japanese friends. It seems that they have quite complex uh, feeling about the the World War Two. Uh, of course, uh, you know, there's no uh, unitary kind of view of, of the, the past. Uh, but I would say, you know, the the nationalist kind of sentiment is pretty. Uh, uh, strong in Japan. I work in Japan for many years, so I have some conversations with uh, you know the, my Japanese friends and or even the, the ordinary Japanese, and uh, they seem to think they are different from Germany in many ways. Uh, in the past, I'm, I'm talking about the, the World War Two. Uh, uh, well, many Japanese uh, did uh, admit, you know, Japan is something. Uh, Quite wrong uh, against its neighbors, its Asian neighbors. But on the other hand, they think their war with the other great powers, you know, the European powers, Britain, in particular, and the United States, uh, are not not necessarily put Japan in the, you know, on, on the moral uh, trail. Uh, so there, in, in short war, I mean, their feelings about the the, the World War Two is more complicated than. Perhaps than the many German 
Uh, but do you do you think this has something to do with the fact that textbooks gloss over the issue, so that a lot of kids I, I do, in school I do believe so. So a lot yeah, of kids in I school aren't they, actually learning the full picture, and so and when they hear Chinese or Koreans complain so vehemently, they actually are very much taken aback. Yeah, I think definitely the the history education is a uh, is a cause of uh, many of these problems, uh, and uh, here we are talking about the, the history education in Japan. Basically, the ignorance of the what what really happened uh, in the past, or what really happened during Japanese colonization of Korean Peninsula and the uh, Japanese uh, uh, aggression against uh, China. Uh, yeah, that that definitely has a role in this kind of uh, um, uh, you know the the distrust or, or mutual distrust you know between the the peoples in or the publics in 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 Japan and its neighbors. Right. Well, but let's go back to China for for a minute here. China has plenty of territorial disputes elsewhere too uh, in Southeast Asia countries that have never. Brutally invaded China as Japan did, are not exactly happy with China because China currently claims virtually all of the South China Sea, and countries like the Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, and others are concerned that China is just encroaching on their maritime territory. Is is China just a bully that wants to gobble up its neighbor's territory and and is just using its historical grievances as something that it could whip out whenever it suits its strategic purpose? Well, um, it, and and we we we've got about a minute left. So, um. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I think that the relations with Southeast Asian countries uh, is different uh, from the the one with Japan. Uh, and and history uh, or the dynamic of so, so-called the past is different in this part of the the, the region than in Northeast Asia. Uh, so here is past. Uh, uh, much simpler than the uh, relations with Japan, where I do believe the the, the historical problem or the history issue uh, has its own role, uh, which uh, is independent of the geopolitical uh, consideration or the the geopolitical dynamics. The even you know the emotions of the the, the people, both Chinese and Japanese. Uh, has a role in in domestic politics and indirectly in the in the foreign policy of each government, and this had to do perhaps uh, in in the case of China had to do with the legitimacy of the Chinese Communist Party. I think which in which you know this national nationalist kind of sentiment uh, somehow is central to the legitimacy of the government. Well, uh, thank you very much. We've been speaking with Professor Xu Xin of Cornell University.、Uh, it's too bad we don't have more time to speak with you, but Professor Xu, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is China Takes Over the World on RTHK, and I am Ying Ma.